Hello, and welcome from the Renaissance Baptist Church of Brooklyn. Join us this week as guest speaker Scott unpacks the book of Ruth. If you'll open your Bibles with me, we're going to be in the book of Ruth over the next four weeks. Now, Ruth is the eighth book in your Bible, starting with Genesis, and it comes right after Judges. It's really small. It's four chapters. If you hit 1 Samuel, you've gone too far. Go back. So, if you have our blue church ESV Bible at the back, it's at page 246. If you don't have a Bible, please uh, take one and take it home. That's yours to keep a gift from us as well. So, I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Ruth chapter 1. This is what Holy Scripture says. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. Thank you. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years. And both Malon and Kilion died so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husbands, her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she heard in the fields of Moab that Yahweh, the Lord, had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law and went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May Yahweh deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. Yahweh grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of Yahweh has gone out against me. And they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May Yahweh do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and Yahweh has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when Yahweh has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her. They returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for these ancient words. God, they are still living and active. May we listen to them this morning. 
May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Give us ears to hear, I ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, something strange happened at my house. I was having lunch on my back deck, and my mom was there, and my sister, and Justine, my wife, and our kids, and we're sitting around, we're having a meal. My mom holds up this little tiny stainless steel spoon. It's a little kid's spoon. And she says to me, oh, did you ever notice what's on this spoon? And I said, yeah, of course. It's got a little kangaroo. It's engraved on there, and it's got its little baby kangaroo, a joey. I said, yeah. I've seen that spoon kick around our cutlery drawer since I was a little kid. Probably it's been in our family for about 35 years. My mom responded. She said, no, not the kangaroos. You need to look closer. So I looked at the spoon, and you know what I saw? Right above the kangaroo, was in, there's an engravement. I never noticed it. And it's my older sister, Kirsty. it's her name, is written there really fine. It's been pushed down, but it's, if you look really close on the reflection, you see her name has been engraved on this little kid's spoon. But I've been using this spoon in our family for 30 years. It's always been the kangaroo spoon. It's been a favorite spoon, but nobody knew that except for my mom, that, that had my sister's name on it. So this, this didn't belong to me. I had to give it back to my sister. It had her name on it. So she got her spoon back <laughs> 30 years late. Uh, perhaps you've read Ruth many times, but you hadn't, and you thought maybe this was someone else's story, but this is your story. If you are a Christian here this morning, this is your story. As you're going to find out, if you've been reading Ruth, this is King David's great grandmother. If, you read the, if you've been reading the New Testament, the first chapter in Matthew, verses 5 and 6, it says that Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse, Jesse, the father of David the king, and this goes all the way down to get to Jesus. Friends, God is using this story to maintain the messianic line to King David and ultimately to the King of Kings, the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, without Ruth, we get no Jesus. If you are in Christ, this is part of your spiritual heritage. This is part of your story. If you've repented of your sins and trusted in Christ for salvation, this is, this is how you got your salvation. This is part of the story. You need to know this story. The sovereign God of the universe prepared 3,200 years ago, before today, before 2023 here, he was, pervert, per, per, sorry, he was preserving salvation through this story of Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz. God was sovereignly guiding history to secure his plan of redemption, to redeem you. And if you're not a Christian, he was preparing this so that you would have the chance to know him. I pray that you would listen to what God has done for an undeserving people. And what he does in here, you're going to see that there's blessing that comes from a, an empty situation, a terrible situation. But why God does this blessing? You're going to find out more this morning why he blesses. God is the maker of heaven and earth. And why he acts is not for the glory of your name or for my name, but it's for the glory of his name. He guides and shapes history to bring about his purposes. And ultimately, you're seeing here that this story is leading to Jesus Christ. So we're going to begin in chapter 1. If you haven't turned there, please turn there already. And this story starts low. I'm not going to whitewash this story for you. Maybe you've heard this story as a love story. This is, this is not your normal love story. In chapter 1, you're going to see how low Naomi has been brought. And Naomi's deliverance, you need to see, it starts in desperation. And God's blessing starts in an empty life here. And there's two facts you need to know. If you're a Christian and you don't know these two, you're going to have trouble in this life. But from this text this morning, I really want you guys to hold on to these two big ones. First, Christian, in your bitterness, God is still sovereign. And second, Christian, in your bitterness, God will provide help. Let's look at this first 
fact. Christian, in your bitterness, God is still sovereign. So we're going to start right at verse 1. Things will pick up, but we can't rush so quickly. When the narrator starts his story, he means it right from the beginning that we've got important information to hear. So the first verse says, In the days when the judges ruled. Well, what does that mean? The judges ruled. I'd say it looks a lot like your old cowboy western movies. Think Clint Eastwood's Fistful of Dollars, or The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Typically in these western movies, you've got gunslingers, bank, bank robbing, cowboys, martial law. Everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes. Remember what I said, we're not, we're not setting the stage for a summer romance here. This is not, we're not in North Carolina in the Nicholas Sparks book here, guys, okay? <laughs> this is not a dating book. Ruth is not how to find a good mate. <laughs> There's a different story here. There is a marriage that goes on, but that's not actually the main part of this story. So, rewind it back a bit. Let's start where the low, the low part of the narrative is in. We're in the days of the judges. We're in the Wild West. The text says, in the days when the judges ruled. So, if you look at the last verse as well, so I gave you the first verse of Ruth. Look at the last verse in the last book of Judges. Sorry, in your previous book of Judges. Verse 25, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Think about if Canada was like that. You think it's bad now. Think about no governance, no central governance. Everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes. So to get you in our Bible timeline, right now we're before King David. This is part of King David's story. But we've come through creation. We've come through Adam and Noah. We've come through Abraham and the people of Israel. And they've been brought out of Egypt by Moses. And now they're going into Canaan. And the timeline here of the Judges is 1500 BC to 1100 BC. That's the time of the Judges. It's a 400-year period. And they've gone through Jericho. The walls have fallen down. And they're starting to take over the rest of Canaan under Joshua. And the land has been divvied up, but there's still some pagan nations in there. There's the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, Hittites, and the Jebusites. Say that real fast. And, but what happens is Israel fails multiple times in here to actually clean out these pagan nations. And what happens is they start following the local gods and they abandon Yahweh. So if you're familiar with the book of Judges, remember this is the timeline we're in. We're not in the New Testament with Jesus under Roman rule. We're, we're, you got to go way back and put your mindset there. So no central governance. Everything has been turned upside down. And what happens is Israel's coming in and they're seeing what their na- who their neighbors are following. They're like, oh, that doesn't seem so bad. And they start to go in what's called the cycle of apostasy. You guys say that? The cycle of apostasy. There's five stages. First, they come in. Israel, they start worshiping false gods. Second, the true God of Israel, Yahweh, he punishes them for doing this. Third, Israel cries out to Yahweh to repent, and God sends a judge. The judge rescues them, and they're safe for years. But then the judge dies, and they go back to the foreign gods and the nations and following them instead of the true God. And we go around and around and around and around. And it's just like a cycle going down and down and down. And since Joshua's death, the people of Israel have had this collection of judges. There's 12 major judges over this 400-year period. Now, these aren't like courtroom judges that they're going and sitting down under. They're more like governors and rulers. Judge is this encompassing term. You've got warriors, prophets, rulers, and soldiers... And these 12 of them, here's some names for you. Othniel, Ehud, Shamgar, Deborah, Gideon, it's also called Jeroboam, Tola, Jer, Jephthah, Ibzan, Elon, Abdon, and Samson. And these judges also provide great baby names. So, if you need some ideas. Uh, But friends, this is an evil time. It's an evil time. Remember, Remember... It is 
they're coming in and starting a nation. Things are very messy. And in our text, we have these three widows. And they, you know, it's a messy time. And they, they, they went back over to Moab to try and get food with their family, with Elimelech. And then there was two, the two sons got married. But at least there was some protection. If you think about your own family unit, if you're a wife, you have a husband, Lord willing, uh, and you guys are a unit. And in this time, when there's no governance and there's, there's nowhere to look for help, you're very dependent on the two of you working together, and the husband is a protector, he's a provider, and he's, he's going to help you navigate all the terrible things that are going on in the world. But now you've got three women and no protectors in a place where there's no governance. This is a place you don't want to be. There is no Durham Regional Headquarters for social assistance. There is no food bank down the street. No discount stores for the poor. There is no Toronto Covenant House for the women to go to to get shelter. There is nothing. These women are weeping. Did you hear that? They, they weep once, then they weep twice. They're weeping and weeping. There is no prospects for these women. No, not even, I'll pick up a waitressing job or I'll run a home daycare. Guys, there is nothing going on here. And the people, in the time of the judges, if you've read the book of Judges, these are evil people. No men to farm the land, provide food from all this riffraff. These widows are in danger. And if you know your Bible a little bit, you'll hear about the orphan, the foreigner, and the widow. Thank you, Bob. These are outcasts of society. In our day and age, sorry, in our day and age, we have more protection for people that there's no husband or a male to help. In this day and age, no way. You're, you're an outcast. You can't, you can, it's really hard to even get a piece of property. That, you gotta turn your 21st century brain off. This is destitution. So you've got these three women and they're in a seedy culture. And if you, if you read the book of Ruth, you're going to hear Boaz say, didn't I tell the men not to touch you? If the widow goes out into a field, she's putting herself almost in harm's way to be sexually abused. It is a seedy culture. Now, Boaz is a faithful Israelite, as you're reading, and he's going to make sure that doesn't happen in his field, but he can't, he can't boss around the other people's property. And if you're a widow, you are in, you're in a dangerous place to be. Again, so we've got a terrible culture. In Naomi's life, she has hit rock bottom. She's without a husband, without sons, without protection. Sons were gold. If you had a son, you had a chance to actually kind of survive a bit because, well, at least he'll grow up, he'll help mom, he'll, he'll look after the property, and now the property, I don't lose the property to someone else in the family. Uh, I've, got, I've got some future, I've got some hope. Not only does she not have any more sons left, her, her daughter-in-laws have no sons. This is bad, real bad. And so she actually is trying to do them a favor. She says, guys, go back to your moms and like they'll help you because it says not house your father, it says house your mother. Go back there. At least your mom could, you know, connect you. Arranged marriage is huge here. Mom's going to find someone for you and you, you could be blessed. You helped me. You are kind to me. Go back there. Like, she's pretty much saying, like, I'm probably going to die soon or someone's going to really ruin my life out in the fields trying to get food. Just don't go with me. So Naomi's not actually doing a mean thing here. She's not upset with Orpah and Ruth. She's trying to protect them. She's trying to show them God's love by saying, you've been kind to me. You've shown me always love. You don't want this life. I'm, she's more or less saying she's pretty much cursed. And so they weep bitterly. You see that in verse 9 and 14. Naomi explains she can't bear sons for Orpah and Ruth. What, are they going to wait 20 years? And this is what we call leveret marriage. They're thinking, well at least another son could maybe marry me and give me an heir and then we could keep the family line, the property, and there'd be protection. And she's like, I don't even have any more sons. They're all gone. Are you going to wait 20 years? And likely Orpah and Ruth are in their late 20s here. They're going to wait until they're, until they're almost 50 and, and, and not wait and try and survive 20 years in Moab in this culture? Go, get going. And what happens when 
we get back to Bethlehem and we're seeing where Naomi's still at. Ruth says, I'm going to cling to you. Look what she says. If you want to know the bitterness of someone's soul here, look what she says when they get back to Bethlehem. Ruth, um, Naomi says something to the people. She says, they say, is this Naomi? And she says, do not call me Naomi, but call me Mara. Naomi means pleasant. And she's saying, nah, that's the old me. The new me is bitter. Call me Mara. And that's Hebrew for bitter. And Naomi gives this poetic, very sad couplet. She says, the Almighty, this is verse 20, if you have your Bibles in front of you there. Verse 20, she says, the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and Yahweh has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when Yahweh has testified against me? And the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. In the ancient world, if you're reading through the text, when someone gets a name change, that's a destiny change. Think about Abram. He goes to Abraham. Sarai goes to Sarah. When you think about Daniel... They tried to call him Belteshazzar. I think it was, no, it wasn't Belteshazzar. They gave him another name when he went into, um, was it Belteshazzar? Yeah. I got the thumbs up from David. Uh, they try and give you a new name because they say, oh no, your destiny has changed. We're giving you a new name. And so Naomi says, my destiny's changed. Like Yahweh is going to be giving me a, a sovereign hand. He, he's sovereignly giving me bitterness and emptiness. I'm not glad anymore. I'm, 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 I'm at my lowest. Don't call me Naomi anymore. And if you read Ruth's story, she doesn't stick with the name Mara. But this is where she's at. This is the beginning of our story. I'm going to steal an analogy from my friend John Bell. But tomorrow morning, if you still read the newspaper or if you have a digital paper, and you open it up, and tomorrow it says, 100 local Christian churches burn to the ground. Would you say, oh, the devil is at it again. Where was God? Would you say that? Tuesday you wake up, and we read, 100 local strip clubs burn to the ground. Would we say, oh, praise the Lord. Like, God must be winning in this fight. Friend, that's not the Christian view of God. God is saying they're not playing this game where they're fighting back and forth. He moves a chess piece. Ah, oh, God moves another chess piece. Back and forth, back and forth. That's, that's an ancient heresy called dualism. We, we are not dualists thinking that Satan has the same power as God. There's one person who made heaven and earth, and that's God alone. He even made Satan. And Satan's kingdom was doomed from the start. We are not dualists. We're monotheistic. We have one God, three persons, triune God. In Deuteronomy 6 states that the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We're not dualists, and the devil is not a God. That's not what's going on here. If you think about Satan, he, he even in the book of Job, he has to ask God for permission to afflict Job. So you're seeing that simple things are happening in this world. But they're not outside of God's control. So we have to ask, why? You see all these things in the news. Why are they happening? Why are not 100 churches burning down, but some churches get burnt down? People die. People get sick. Why is God allowing these things to happen? Maybe in your own life this is happening. Has Satan got the wheel and he's driving away with all life's blessings? We can't be caught off guard when evil things happen around us or calamity. But look at what the author of Proverbs says in chapter 16, verse 9. He says, the heart of man plans his way. We try and plan a good life. We try and plan things but it's Yahweh who establishes the steps. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it's the purpose of Yahweh that will stand. 
there's something greater going on when we don't get what we planned for. Do you think Naomi moved to Moab to then have her husband and her, her sons die and be destitute and in this terrible position? This was not her plan. She was glad to leave. And this is during a time of famine as well. She was glad to leave and try and get some food in Moab and get a, a new life there. But things have gone down. This is an emptying of Naomi. And this is where we're at. There's a bitterness here. And redemption, it seems distant. But look what verse 6 says. Look at your Bibles there. Verse 6. So this is Naomi. She arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she heard in the fields of Moab that Yahweh had visited his people and given them food. This is the only action you're actually going to hear about Yahweh in the book of Ruth. This is the one time God, you get, a, you get a, a whisper that God is actually doing something. But this is back in Bethlehem. She's got to leave. She's got to go back to where she came from. But God is doing something here. And at the end of our passage, there's another glimmer of hope in this terrible situation. In verse 22, Naomi returned and Ruth the, Mo- with Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, she returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. There's food again in Bethlehem. There was a whisper of it, and they're there. They had nothing, and they're coming, and their eyes are starting to, oh, there's a chance that we could survive here. Something is, something is turning. So even though we're at this bitter, low point, terrible situation, terrible culture, three widows... There is a glimmer of hope here. Famine, death of husband, death of sons, no grandkids. Naomi is distraught. But still, God has given a glimmer of hope here in our text. If you're thinking about the New Testament, you say, well, what about us as Christians? And you're seeing this bitter providence happen. You say, I I see some bitter provinces in my own life, Scott. Amazing text to go to is Romans 8.28. If you don't know that text, you need to write it out in your Bible. It says... We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, to God's purpose. And what is that purpose? Don't stop there. Romans 8.28 is good to know, but you got to know a little bit of the context there. This person has been saved. They know God, and they know what God is doing to not bring out our own praise and glory and happiness but that our story fits into God's story. And verse 29 says this purpose. Look at your text if you've turned to the New Testament. Romans 8, 29 says, For those whom he foreknew, who God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Friend, in your bitterness, this is to conform you to Christ. God is sovereign. He's not without a purpose. I don't stand here pretending to know your situation and that every little part of that is um, been done to you. Sometimes we sin and we get the consequences of our sin. But that is not outside of God's control. Devil hasn't got the wheel and he's, he's running away with the show. This is in God's purpose. This is in God's plan, even though that's not laid out to us. Think about Job. Job lost everything and he didn't really understand what happened. He was restored somewhat, but he never got his kids back. He had all that suffering and pain to go through. He never really understood why. But friend, God is not away from the wheel and his purpose has not been thwarted trust him for he is God and we are not so friend that was the first truth I want you to hold on to but there is a second truth here Christian in your bitterness God will provide help had you noticed that Ruth hasn't had the microphone yet I haven't let her talk yet she did say one thing with Orpah before Orpah decided to find better trails in Moab. She said with Orpah, no, we'll return with you to your people. Orpah said that, but she was able to get convinced, and she went back. But Ruth was not going to turn. Look at verse 16. 
and I'll let Ruth speak for herself. This is what she says to Naomi. Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you for where you go, I will go and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there will I be buried. May Yahweh, the Lord, do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. If you're not familiar with what's going on here, Ruth is oathing herself. She is bonding herself to Naomi. Now, Ruth is a Moabite. If you're not familiar with the Moabites, this is the story. We're going to talk more about the Moabites as the story goes on in Ruth, because it's very important to know what's the, what's the background here of a Moabite. But this is the story of Lot and his two daughters, and Moab means from father. Lot's daughters slept with him, got him drunk and slept with him, and the name carries on through one of them that it was Moab from father and the descendants of Moab, and that's Ruth's lineage. It's not very good. A lot of, that's incest. And the Moabites, they're not, they're not paired with Israel. They have some background because Lot and Abraham were related, but they're not coming through Abraham. They're not getting the blessing through Abraham. They're distant. And the Moabites, they're not following Yahweh. They don't follow the God of, the, of Israel. Numbers 21, verse 29, sorry, Numbers chapter 21, verse 29 says, Woe to you, O Moab, you are undone, O people of Chemosh. You say, Chemosh? No, no, like, ha, Chemosh. This is a pagan god that the Moabites follow, Chemosh. And Ruth was told to go back to Chemosh. Go back to him. Maybe he'll bless you. And that's who Orpah's gone back to, but it says she went back to her gods. But Ruth, she desires to be redeemed. Even though it's looking not hopeful. But she's, she's going to bind herself to this god that she's heard about. She's been in an Israelite family. She married an Israelite man. And even though they don't seem that faithful... Um, she would have heard about Yahweh through the family and the history. Is she, is she this faithful woman all of a sudden? The story will show us yes. But at this, is this a conversion statement? I would say this is a commitment that Ruth is going to bind herself to Naomi. She's got nothing else to lose. Uh, Naomi, and so she says, okay. And she, she keeps her mouth quiet and says, I got nothing else, but... She still goes back and says, I'm, I'm bitter to everyone. But Ruth, she's decided to cast her lot with Yahweh, with the God of Israel. In those days, the gods were allocated to territories and lands. This is how people thought in the ancient world. Remember, you've got to turn off the 21st century where any god, you can worship any god anywhere you want. The people of Moab, their god was Chemosh. The people of Israel was Yahweh. But again, they've been also worshiping these pagan gods and not everyone who is in the territory of Israel is actually faithful. So in the Moab writings, Chemosh is this triumphing god, and he's part of a pantheon. Anyways, it's a pagan god. It is not the same god as Israel. But Naomi, she's going to go back with Ruth, and Ruth is going to be clinging to her. So honest question, did you think that Ruth was a love story before we started this morning? Did you think maybe we were getting a dating uh, four weeks on, uh, on dating? Anybody? Yeah, a few of you. This is a love story, and you're not wrong to think this is a love story, but it's not between Ruth and Boaz. Remember, Boaz is actually going to buy Ruth. <laughs> a little bit different now, now today. There's still something wonderful that happens, and I think it is, there is something to learn from Ruth and Boaz's relationship later. But the love story here is between Naomi and Ruth. This is a family love story on commitment. Ruth is committed to follow Naomi, to follow her God to death. Ruth has oathed herself to do this, and if she parts ways, she's said, let Yahweh kill me. Ruth has shown her kindness and her love and her commitment to Naomi. And this is, this is where the love story is. 
And the only time that love is actually used is in chapter 4, when it talks about the, the great love that Ruth has for Naomi. If you look in chapter 4, it's better than seven sons is the love of your daughter-in-law. So this, this is probably why the book of Ruth is named Ruth, because of this, this great woman that God used for his sovereign purposes. And in this bitterness, God has provided help. Even though it's a Moabite, and this woman has not been following the God of Israel, this is not a faithful Jewish woman. And Naomi says, take what I can get, I guess. But she still thinks she's empty when she gets back and tells everybody. But she's like, yeah, I got this Moabite woman. And everyone's like, oh, okay, some Moabite. But people start to hear, well, at least she can help you. There's, a, there's this glimmer of hope that's happened, this help that's come with Ruth. And Ruth here is somewhat of a parallel with Abraham. Abraham was, in a, was a foreigner called out of Ur the Chaldeans, and he was told by God that he would be blessed and become a great nation. Ruth, also a foreigner, is going to come out of her land and is hoping to get a blessing because she, she heard about what's going on, that Yahweh has visited his people in Israel. But she's not promised the same as Abraham. There's no promise here yet made to Ruth. She's just heard that something, something is happening back in Bethlehem. There's food there. Redemption in this part of the story is distant. And they need to be rescued from their poverty. They're in a dangerous situation. And Ruth has paired herself with this empty and troubled woman. No husband, no sons, no grandsons, no food, no money, no hope. The situation is bitter. But remember, Yahweh has visited his people. He's starting to provide help. I wonder if you feel a bit like Naomi this morning. Do you see yourself embittered against God? You look at his hand of providence and say, I didn't see that coming. Seek God's help. You might have complaints about how life is going. God wants to hear those too. But don't stop with just bringing complaints ask for God's help. Call out to him. Tell him this isn't fair. And God will hopefully redefine your definition of fair. You can call it to him. He is a God who acts. He is the living God. God's not in your debt, though, to do blessings to you. He will act for the glory of his name. But he will hear you. Psalm 138 verse 2 says, this is the psalmist, he says, I bow towards your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. When, when you get bad news about how sick you are, you wonder where is God's steadfast love and faithfulness? It is still there. He is still with you, even when there's calamity and bad news. But what, what the psalmist here says, I'll give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. And then he gives a reason. For you've exalted above all things your name and your word. His word and his name, God prizes above all things. And our response is to bow down to him. In the fullness of time, God gave his name to none other than Jesus Christ. That is the one we are to bow to now. We're on this side of the cross. That is who we have to follow and let him redefine what fair means. Perhaps you're going to read this uh, book of Ruth, and you're listening to these sermons, and you might not have a spouse. And you said, well, hey, maybe if I cast my lot with God, God's going to provide me a spouse. Maybe you're a widow, and you're thinking, oh, maybe I could still get a spouse, and if I follow God, I'll be blessed. Friend, that's not what the book of Ruth is about. You might be thinking, oh, but if I have enough faith, God could give me wealth and prosperity, like being in the house of Boaz and this rich, this rich uh, farmer who could help me and bring me out of my destitution. Again, friend, that's not what the book of Ruth is telling us. It's not promising you wealth and prosperity. And anyone who teaches this book that way is a charlatan, and you shouldn't listen to them. Listen to what the book is telling you, not what people are redescribing this book as. This is not a get rich or get married book. This is a book about God and his sovereignty to help you with life's bitterness and to show that he had a plan to secure salvation through Jesus Christ. 
God promises to bring redemption, and he uses means. He doesn't just pop help out of the sky. He brings people under his way to help. How I should say that is God uses people to help other people. Ruth is the one that helps restore Naomi. And that will be with a grandson, Obed, if you've read up to chapter 4. God used Ruth. You only heard about God acting one time. He brought food to Bethlehem. But behind this, you're going to see there's slow movements. It's like, how did Ruth get in Naomi? And how did Ruth get into Boaz's field? And Boaz is at the right time. You're going to see some things in the story that just start to line up. And I'd argue that this is sovereignly God is lining these things up in the story to secure the heir, to bring about Obed and to bring redemption. Again, Christian, in your bitterness, God will provide help. You might say, Scott, I don't have a Ruth in my life, and I don't know what you're talking about, <laughs> bringing help. How am I supposed to get help? Um, two big ways, guys. In your, in your bitterness, God is going to provide help. And how is he going to do that? Two ways. The Holy Spirit and the local church. These are two massive gifts God has given to you, Christian. If you're a Christian here this morning, God has sent his Holy Spirit into you. If you're in Christ, the Spirit will comfort you, he will guide you, he'll give you strength, and he will most importantly point you to Jesus. Jesus went through the suffering on the cross to provide salvation. If you're thinking that suffering doesn't have a purpose, look back to the cross. Without suffering, none of us are saved. God has a purpose, even if we can't see it. And, friends, when the Spirit is in you, you get a taste of what's called the heavenly inheritance. You know that in God's presence, there is riches forevermore. But not here. <laughs> if you get through life and you have to rent an apartment and, and perhaps you're in and out of social assistance, that's okay. God has not provided you wealth and health here. But he has, he has told you that with the spirit in you, you will be at my side to enjoy riches forevermore. You're not going to get a thousand bitcoins, but you're going to get way better than that in God's presence. And the spirit is to, is to guide you and point you back to Christ and to help you in those times of bitterness and weakness. And you have your local church. If this is your local church, I'm so glad that you are here. And I hope you would talk to someone if life is going bitter. Um, don't neglect the people who are around you. If you're not a member here, I, I pray that you would declare your faith in baptism and we could, we could start to look after you and point you to the hope that you have in Christ. God uses people to sustain people. He doesn't just drop health out of the sky and you got to catch it. <laughs> Stop looking up there, guys. Look around you at what God has done. He's put his spirit within you and he's given you people that have the spirit to proclaim Christ to you. What are some things you can do to someone who's in bitterness? Well, we have lots of time uh, to talk on a Sunday morning. Sometimes, sometimes not. Pick up the phone, call someone, text. Sometimes those conversations can be life-giving. But talk to those around you. Pray for them. See if you can meet them up for a coffee. Maybe they need a meal dropped off. Maybe you could watch their kids in the afternoon. Maybe you could offer someone a drive or help around the house with some housework. Just some small things you could do that could be life-giving to someone who is in their depths. But don't neglect your soul. Talk to someone around you here. If God has secured you for a spiritual redemption through Jesus, it, it is a hope that is coming into eternity. But sometimes God has calamity prepared. But that doesn't mean he's let go of you. He cannot take away your redemption because God has promised it through Christ. Sorry, not God, but uh, let me back up there, guys. You cannot lose your salvation. You cannot lose it because it is promised to you in Christ's in Christ sacrifice. If you continue to believe, continue to follow, what does Romans 8 say? There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Remember, God uses you in your bitterness 
if you're going in and out of belief, look back to the cross. Christ died and was raised. Go back there and, and ask those around you to help, help restore you in your faith if you're in and out of belief. Um, there, is, there is hope of redemption. God was doing this through his grandson Obed to bring King David to the throne of Israel to bring an end to wickedness at the time of Judges and to eventually bring the Savior to the world, King Jesus. Friend, God needed to secure redemption for the world. And we're going to hear more about this story and how God uses Boaz and brings this Redeemer to the world. And it's, it's not a world that you know, it's not great and people need to get better. Like, we are dead in sin. That is how the New Testament authors talk about us. Friend, have you confessed your sin to God? Have you sought to be redeemed in Christ's crosswork? Do you see that in Ruth's redemption, God was securing the way of salvation through Jesus? Is your whole life wrapped up in you? Where has God been? He's been there the whole time, but have you actually said, I'm not the one who's in control, and the bad things that are happening to me, well, life's not in your control. Maybe there's something bigger going on, and it's in God's hands. Friends, life is a breath, and we are, we're described, the scriptures say that we're a flower that blossoms one moment, and the next day we're turned to dust. We're a shadow, but God is eternal. And his son Jesus is the one whose name needs to be praised, not our names. History is wrapped up in Jesus Christ of Nazareth. We're not the center of the world. God is. And so our definition of fair, we need to think about what God is doing, not necessarily what he's letting us go through. There might be some sovereign purpose that you actually get a hold of. Maybe you lost a job so that you could get something else. Okay. But God didn't promise you that blessing. But perhaps God was using something that you didn't see at the time. Again, God doesn't promise these blessings and blessings and blessings and blessings here on, in earth. He just doesn't. But he is the one that can provide. And he is the one that you should thank when, when provisions come. And when hard times come, ask him for help all the more. Don't abandon him just when you don't get a blessing. Don't take your circumstances and call foul on you, God. Why would you do this to me? He has showed you mercy. He has given you the Holy Spirit, Christian. He has given you a church to help you through this hard time. And Ruth, in this situation with Naomi, she mirrors God's mercy. She's shown kindness to Naomi. She's casting her lot with the dead and saying, well, I'll try. We'll try to go it together. We don't deserve to be saved. None of us do. And this is why God is merciful. Naomi did not deserve Ruth's kindness, but she got it. And who is this God that we follow? He is gracious, merciful. This is what Psalm 103 says. If you want a definition of who this God is that Naomi and Ruth are following, and in the fullness of time will be Christ, who is this, what is this definition of God? What does God look like, and how should I be living? Psalm 103 tells us that he is gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and he will not always accuse nor keep his anger forever. And how does God act towards us? Because we are sinful people before him. Well, for those who follow him, it says he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us for our iniquities. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. I'll invite the band back up as I close this morning. Friends, look to Jesus. Look to the cross. And confess your sin, your rebellion, your self-centeredness. Repent of those ways which are cursed, and they, they will lead you only to hell. If you are wallowing in bitterness, and you think God has abandoned you, and you are, you are just saying everything is wrong in the world, whether or not it's your fault, if you're wallowing there, that it, you're ignoring everything God has done and is doing in the world. Especially if you're a Christian, you should not be there. You should need to know he is sovereign. 
and he will provide, he has provided help, and he will continue to provide help. We cannot satisfy God's wrath. If you are here this morning and a lot of these words maybe seem strange and you're thinking about what does it mean to follow Jesus, follow God? Well, we all deserve God's wrath. All the people around you who are even calling themselves Christians, they know they deserve God's wrath. And we all need to be redeemed. There's only one redeemer and his name is Jesus. But do you desire to be redeemed? Do you know that you need to redeem, be redeemed? Do you think maybe you're just good enough and you'll get by and things are going okay? Friend, do not ignore what God has done in the past, what he is doing, and what he will do. He was providing a way to Christ. He brought Christ. And Christ died and rose again and is coming back. Will you be found in him or will you suffer God's wrath on your own shoulders? Only Christ's sacrifice licked up every drop of God's wrath and provided salvation. He put his spirit in you and then whatever bitterness you're going through, he's providing help in this time. God is sovereign. Don't stew in that bitterness. Don't be like Naomi. Don't try and change your name. Don't be embittered against God, but look at the love that God has shown you. Trust God when his providence is bitter. And if it hasn't come, it likely will come in your life. But seek his steadfast love. I dare say that God is drawing you to himself in these low times. Hold fast to him. I pray that his spirit will hold you up this morning and talk to, talk to someone around you. Tell them what's going on. Um, even if you can't talk now, say, hey, could we meet later? Could, I, I just need some encouragement. Um, those conversations should not be uh, foreign here at Renaissance. And uh, I think you will have uh, an open ear. Um, amen. Thank you. Thanks again for joining us. For more information, please visit brooklynrbc.ca. The link is also in our bio. On behalf of the Renaissance Baptist Church of Brooklyn, we pray you have a blessed week.